You're listening to the Two Tongues Podcast. And now your hosts, Kyle and Chris. What's up, Kyle? Not much. I like the short intro. Big fan of the short intro. I know you do. I know you do. It's starting season four with the short intro. Yep. Yep. So we spent like uh, maybe a good two and a half minutes I mean, trying to figure out whether this was season one of um, episode one of season four because I could have sworn that I recorded one for season four, but I was mistaken. Wrong. 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 <laughs> yep. So, so here we are, season four. Boom. Crazy. What do, what do you think about that? It's crazy, man. Three years of podcasting. Yep. Not a lot of uh, not a lot of podcasters get it, uh, you know, for that long. Yeah. They give up. Hopefully we can pick up some traction this year, you know, a little bit great. more traction. That would be great. So for those of you listening, share it with your friends, man. Yeah, absolutely. Feels like we should have more traction by now. Yeah, we, we've been plugging away at it. I mean, you more than I have. I've been a, a little, I've been not in it as much, but, yeah, you know. What's well, been a, just a, a time of change for the both of us? There's lots of things going on. I'm, yeah. a, I'm actually hoping I'll be able to get back to a... Uh, to a more regular cadence with the episodes in the near future, so I'll talk more about that when uh, when I can. Uh, but there was a time where I was chugging away you two episodes out, a man. week. I mean, like clockwork. Yep. This past season, I, I went and I looked to see how many total episodes we published in season two versus season three, and I want to say we averaged like one a week in season three, and in season two it was like. An explosion. It was, it was way more. It was double or better. It's the Cambrian explosion. Yes, the Cambrian explosion of two tongues. Stuff. Stuff. Yep. All right, man. So, um, what what I came up with like last couple of days, I um, was listening to one of your recommendations, which is a YouTube show called Our Subverted History. Mm-hmm. And um, when I started listening to it, I realized. That it was going to make some people uncomfortable, and I'm I'm going to be one of those people. I have been one of those people. Yeah. But also, the more I listen to it, the more I realize that the host—I don't know what his name is—Asha Logos. Yeah, I'm, that's not his name. Right. But, you right. Know. Right. Um, I noticed that he has a point about why it is that it makes me uncomfortable. There's a, there's a level of programming that's that's. I've been exposed to since kindergarten. You know, it's, it's, what's interesting is that this is content that's on YouTube, okay? So he says he's expressing ideas that are definitely going to be controversial to a lot of people, but it's on YouTube, so it can't be that controversial. He has to be very careful about what he says, and he doesn't really spend any of the time, it, like, just to assess what makes you uncomfortable and what, what this content is that's making you uncomfortable and what you think might make other people uncomfortable. It's not like he's spending a bunch of his time talking bad about other people. Right. All he's doing is talking about the, like, the branches of the Proto-Indo-European tree and talking about how much he loves them and how, how you know that their contributions to the world have been worthwhile and made the world a better place. That's all he's saying. And why is that controversial? That, that's the thing that I don't understand. And he says it, um, and we'll say it, I guess, today, is that if any group of people 
takes pride in belonging to a group of people. It's not only fine, but encouraged among anybody who isn't white. Mm. And even to call white people a group as a whole, that's even something that I'm not 100%... I've never been 100%... You've heard me argue the opposite of what this guy is arguing. I say things like, you know, to call somebody white is not disparaging, but it's so ignorant. It's like you you could be... um, quote unquote white and have like Celtic Gaelic origins and your family's from Wales um, and you could be quote unquote white and your family's like Mycenaean origin from southern Greece and you have a completely different history and path through time and, and culture and all that and to call you both white is sort of it's like whitewashing your history I agree to a certain extent I do I mean like the cultures of somebody, the cultures of people who, you know, that culture developed, you know, down in Italy is going to be drastically different than the cultures that developed up in, you know, the very north of Norway. You right, know? right. Uh, they're going to be very different cultures. But what's interesting, and this is something that ties into that other channel that I told you about, Survive the Jive. Um, yes, they are different cultures, but they have a lot of similarities and they have, and this is key, they have the same roots. They grow out of the same roots. Yes. And that, that's been one of the most fascinating things to listen to this guy's YouTube channel. And we're, today we're, I'm planning on covering just the first episode, which is the introduction to this, which in a lot of ways is the most controversial because he's trying to make the argument to why it is he thinks this is important, what, you know, what the message is that he's trying to tell. And it's exactly what you just summarized, that there is a common root to European people that seemingly history and society is, is continually trying to break down and erase. Like we don't have common ties, that we all emerged independently from one another. And, uh, and I think trying to, trying to resurrect some pride in your deep history, your, your, your inheritance from your ancestors. Like to me, uh, that's a very P- Petersonian thing to say when I, when it comes out of my mouth, you know, I want, I believe that it's important to know where you came from. And I've always, as an American have searched for my own history because it has been erased and it's not because of culture, society, or racial reasons. It's because we don't live there anymore. And it, we've been separated from our families so long we've forgotten it. Um, yeah, I, I think that that's a part of it. But I also think that people who come here from other cultures, they hold on to it. Yeah. So what the fuck's that all about? Why is it specifically us that our culture has to be destroyed and erased and, you know, we're not allowed to be proud of it? And if we are, we're the worst people on the planet. Right. Right. Uh, and that's that's kind of like, you know. Uh, this this first video, like you said, what's controversial about it is like, what would the reasons for that be? Why just us? Why are why is there why is there Chinatown? Why is there you know Koreatown? Why is there you know all the well? I mean, I don't know. Just like lots of you know the the immigrants, the minorities are allowed to congregate and are allowed to keep their culture and. You know, they're allowed to move here and not learn to speak the language, um, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, There's all kinds of things rattling around in my head when you say that. Like I'm thinking about how 
in the early, like I'm thinking, honestly, I'm, I'm not really reflecting on history. I'm reflecting on, uh, what was that DiCaprio movie about the uh, New York, the uh, Gangs of New York? Gangs of New yeah, York. yeah, that's what I'm reflecting on. Yeah. But like how in the early days, in the uh, early days of our country, certain white groups that immigrated here were discriminated against really, really poorly, really badly. The Irish and the Italians, uh, key among them. Um, and you had these, um, these Northern European colonists here that wouldn't even accept Southern European people as white mm-hmm. or the, or the Irish as white that they called them terrible names. And yeah, I don't know. I'm skeptical of that. I know that that's, you know, Thaddeus Russell and people of that uh, milieu, as the uh, the fancy people say, yeah. that they say that people actually believed that Irish people were, you know, you know what they said. You yeah, know the I, word. I do know what they The big yeah. no-no word. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't believe that that's true. I don't believe that, you know, people in the, you know, the, the 1800s were like, they could look at an Irish person and look at an African person and be like, they're the same, you right. know? That's fucking stupid. It is It is stupid. Uh, I believe what it means is that they behave similarly, and I think that that's true, that Irish people tended to be more, like, of the body, you know, like, they're, like, uh, they're not... They, not all of them were deep philosophers, excuse me. They, you know, they like to drink. They like to dance. They like to sing songs. Yeah. You know, they don't yeah, want to yeah. go to work. There are stories of Irish people working on the railroad and building canals and shit that they would set up explosives and blow the shit that they were working on up because they didn't want to work that day. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean... That's like maybe controversial that I'm saying that 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 they are like black people in that way. But yeah. well, this shit's gonna get controversial today, and I, I guess maybe I'll just I'd hate to do this. I hate to I hate to pr- like preface this conversation Trigger at all. Warning. Yeah, I hate to do that. But what I want to what I want to say to the people listening is, we're going to I'm going to say things today like the Aryan race. I'm going to use that phrase today. Fuck yeah, and, man. And, and I, I I realize there's lots of there's lots of Nazi baggage that's attached to that. I, like everybody else listening here, was taught um, about racial hatred and, and the you know the the tragedies uh, of of the Holocaust and um, Nazis bad and Nazis and all Nazis that sort of thing bad. Um, and that word, that Aryan word, is attached to that. And what I want to try to make clear is that this this has a much deeper historical. This is something that was. Um, that was used by the Nazi propaganda machine. It's a real historical um, uh, reality that doesn't have anything to do with racism that was used by the, the Nazi propaganda machine for their purposes. Um, I read a little book, it's around here somewhere, years ago, it's called um, Something in the Land of the Noble. I can't remember anymore. But it, it, was, uh, it was all about the Aryan, um, the origins of the Aryan race. And the guy that wrote it was a white historian married to a Persian woman who was very interested in his wife's Iranian heritage and speaks about the deep historical roots and culture of the Aryan race. And he's referring to ancient Indo-Iranian uh, people, yeah. not white people from Northern Europe, yeah. but there's a connection and there's an important connection. And that's what we're going to talk about today. It, you know, if we can say that people with with Dark, with black skin from from Africa, if we can say that they're part of a group, that they belong to some sort of large family, 
based on genetic inheritance, even though they speak different languages, they're from different parts of Africa, they've never met one another, if we can say that they belong to a group, there is absolutely no difference in saying that people from European stock who share a genetic inheritance that makes their skin look the way ours does also belong to a group. As diluted as it is through time and changes and intermixing with other people, that there's something that binds us together as a people, and that that, that, that might be something that we should be proud of. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Do you have anything to add before we jump in? Um, I just think that like the name of the series, Our Subverted History, um, I do think that you... and. You know, it's this is season one of episode four, and season one of episode one, I'm pretty sure one of the things that I said I wanted to talk about on this podcast is how once I had the realization that I couldn't trust the news, it made me have the realization that I don't think I can trust history either. Uh, and I, if you are a person who watches this podcast and you are not already thinking like this, I strongly um, encourage you stop s- stop looking at history through the lens that you've been looking at it through you you know the lens that you've been using up until this point because it's just totally you know I don't know that this Asha Logos fella has like all of the details right uh, but I do believe that the general thesis that we can't trust history, that we've been being lied to the entire time and potentially about like the most important things. Um, I think that that's, that's definitely something that I would like people to keep in their mind. And I think that that is going to make you feel uncomfortable. Yep. There are going to be periods in history where you are like, okay, I have to question how I've been feeling about this my entire life. Um, and just to like give you one of those, uh, one of those instances, you were just talking about that book that you couldn't remember the name of, um, and you know, like Nazi propaganda. I would be curious to know, I would, I would like to go back and look at some historical examples of that national socialist propaganda, because I wonder what kind of things they were really saying. You know, was it we're better than everyone and we need to, was it, uh, let's just put it this way. Was it, we're the chosen people and we're special and we need to be in charge of everyone. We need to be, you know, the world needs to be ours. Is that what they were saying? Or were they saying we're proud of who we are and we don't want to change for you? Um, You know, it's it's funny you say that because I, I haven't, and I'm, I'm willing to bet nobody listening has seen any examples of, of Nazi propaganda or listened to the speeches that, that Hitler made. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I'm not, I'm not throwing any support behind it. I'm just saying we assume that your first explanation, that the white supremacy explanation is what was happening because that's what we've been told. But do you know? Do you know whether that's actually the case? Could it, could it be something more like option two that you just put on the table? I, I think, think that if you look at it in the context of history, you you just had World War One, and you had Germany being treated incredibly unfairly after World War One. Um, you know, if you don't know about it, look into it. 
Uh, I highly encourage you because you don't hear about that for some reason. You don't hear about the Morgenthau plan. You don't hear about the firebombing of Dresden. You don't hear about uh, the terrible things that were done to the German people. Um, I don't the, know, the I don't know about any German of that people. Shit. Ah, it doesn't surprise me. Right. And you're a smart guy. You're not like uh, you're not an uncurious person. Right. Uh, but for some reason, that stuff you never hear about that. You have to listen. You have to be in a very specific corner of the internet to hear about that kind of stuff. Right. So. And you're probably on a list if you know about that sort of thing. Maybe. Maybe you are on a list. I'm happy to be on that fucking list, though. Boy. So in the, your point earlier about well, it just if we go back to the World War II example. To the victor go the spoils, and that means also the ability to rewrite history. And if you don't think that's been done countless times over the course of history, you're, you're wrong. Mm. If, if, if the Allied powers would have lost the Second World War, how would the history books read? Very fucking differently. Yeah. Very differently. It, it, there would be, you know, first grade school students in Germany learning about the the glory of that war and the, you know, the victor over the, you know, the, um, I don't know what, what word they would use, but the, the enemy that was trying to crush their national identity and trying to, you know, um, sque- squeeze every, every dollar out of them to rebuild the rest of the world. And it would have been a very different story. Yep. So, um, all right, go ahead. I think, uh, that's a good point. And I just think that even even with the the people who win writing history like right now i think that we are we are in a very interesting time things are i feel like things are like right on the verge of change and i think that the change could go either you know could go many different directions but i feel like things are very volatile right now and even without there being a war when the spirit of the age changes history changes the way we look back at history changes yeah you know and i feel like we are on the verge of that you know the, the, we're going to look back and uh these more revisionist streams of history might become a lot more um mainstream people might become more interested in them and i hope that's the case you're right you're right we we reinterpret the same set of facts to tell a different story it's really interesting. And yeah, I mean, you could you say the same set of facts, but maybe even some things that 50 years ago, 80 years ago were not facts. They were falsehoods. And now it's like, I don't know, maybe that is true or maybe that's not true, you know? Yeah. So yeah, that's interesting. It's amazing the amount of historical things that people just take for granted, you know? You go to history class and they tell you this and you don't fucking look into it at all. Right. And that's that's the way it happened. Yeah, man, that's such a fucking good point. There's a um, a fallacy called appeal to authority. Mm-hmm. It's very common. You see it everywhere all the time. If you if you look into it, you'll see. Especially when you watch debates, that people oh, love yeah. appealing to authority. Yes, yes, it's like all you have to do is suggest that the scholars or the studies or the smart person or the consensus opinion is X, Y, and Z. And even if you're wrong, people are persuaded by that, and people. Don't people are lazy? Yeah, I'm lazy. You're lazy. In, oh, in certain in certain lazy. ways, everybody's fucking lazy, and we want to be efficient. So if somebody smarter than us tells us something, we would much rather just buy it wholesale than look into than do the fucking hard work. I remember when I was a kid, 
like, you know, late teens, um, early 20s, I would say things and I would think it was a completely valid argument. Well, it's like, well, people smarter than me or you think this, you know, it's like, so I'm just going to accept it. Yep. It's crazy. It's crazy. All right. So I approached this uh, like I do my solo episodes. So I'm going to try to read a lot of quotes. I don't want to be unfair to, to Asha Logos or, or this channel. So I want to use his words verbatim where I can. And there's some paraphrases to, to save some time. But And I'm curious how you, how you feel about the way I organize this and what I chose to say and what I chose to leave out. So I'd be curious as we go along what you think. All right. It's, uh, just so you, just to make this aware, it's been a few weeks since I've watched these, so it's not exactly going to be fresh. I didn't realize we were going to be talking about this yeah, today. No works, yeah. Uh, but, you know, but I'm sure it's in there good enough to, yeah. to I mean, talk I'm, about. I'm sure as we as we read these quotes, it's going to kick yeah, back yeah. up in your head. So, so I organize this into sections like I do when I do my solo podcast, and I think what I want to do is... Maybe I'll just read this first section from beginning to end, and then we can and then we can dig into specific s- sections if you want. So let me just read this. These are this is quotes directly from episode one of our subverted history. It goes like this: Most of us realize the subversion of our financial and political systems, our media and entertainment. When I began to see similar red flags in the teaching of history. I became a skeptic overnight. So I sought to immerse myself only in root historical sources, meaning the older the better and the more firsthand the better. Then he asked, the, he asked this question, how can we know ourselves as individuals? How can we know ourselves as individuals? And he gives these, he rattles off these like normal things that we might use to, ident- to identify with. Uh, he says, you know, we might identify with our possessions, our beliefs, our national identity, our politics, our culture. But then he says that none of that is deeply real, which I thought was interesting. He says, because they're not innate. They're, they don't come from within us. They're, they're external things. So how can external things tell us anything about who we are as individuals. It needs to be something from within. And so I asked the question, so what is innate? And then listen to this quote. He says, The blood that flows through our veins has lived before, countless times before. Man. He says, An understanding of our roots helps inform us of who we are and how to best be and grow. This is the power of history. He says, One can't properly orient and direct their future unless they understand their past, the collective experiences of their ancestors. And lastly, he says, My purpose, and this is important, listen to this, My purpose is not to proclaim the greatness of Indo-European peoples or illustrate their history of achievement, and it's certainly not to put down other groups. The goal here is to attempt to piece together an accurate and honest portrait of history in an age when information is completely subverting and rewriting the record. Because this truth matters, and it's difficult to imagine a greater crime than the wholesale rewriting of history. What do you got? What do you got on that? Anything? Anything pop in your head? I just, that last part specifically makes me wonder why it is, and I mean, I've talked about this earlier already, why it is encouraged for, you know, people of African descent, people of Asian descent, people of Latino descent, why it's encouraged for them to be proud of their roots. But not only 
not only is it like, I don't know, man. It's like, it's like the worst thing in the world if we do it. You're right. The moment a white person says something that, that indicates they're proud of being white or belonging to the, a group of Europeans, I, I even have this reaction that I'm, I'm like holding in right now that makes me pull away from it. It's like society has taught me that I should not think that and I should not say that. It's some weird programming mm-hmm. that I referred to earlier. But if, if I were black and I said that, people would be clapping. Oh, yeah. Because, because in their mind, their history was robbed from them. And so having pride in their history is some sort of a, a regaining of something lost. And, and when we say it, it's like, it's, it's racist, man. I don't know. I don't, I don't understand it. And so that's obviously the truth. You know, that what we're just talking about there is obviously a true statement. I don't think anybody, I mean, I'm sure that some shit lib type people would try to say, oh, it's just in your head. It's fine. You know, it's not bad to, you know, actually, I don't know if anybody would say the phrase, it's not bad to be white, but they would still try to, you know, this is a, I hate when people use this word, but they would try to gaslight you and be like, you're, you're crazy. You know, it's not, you're imagining this, you're just paranoid. Um, But to anybody who is not lying to themselves, uh, what we just said is obviously true. Uh, so my question, the and like the, I think the really interesting thing is like, why is that happening? Uh, who is encouraging that? Where is that coming from? And what is their motivation? Um, and I think that what he says here, um, I can't find it here. Something about orienti- orienting yourself, and, yeah. you know, in your future. Yep, right. Yeah. Now. One can't properly orient and direct their future unless they understand their past. Uh, and it's like, what? Due to all of this, like, cultural, uh, cultural retardation and cultural degradation uh, that we have experienced, we don't... It's like, uh, yeah, like we, we're not, uh, we're not a unit is what I'm trying to say. Like we're very, um, like balkanized. We're all, yeah. yeah, you know, uh, a lot of, you know, white people disagree with each other on a lot of things. Uh, and I'm not saying that that wasn't the case back in Proto-Indo-Europe, but I bet you it was a lot fucking less. Right. I bet you that the mem- these members of tribes, sure, they had disagreements, but I'm pretty sure that it was not as drastic as it is with, you know, me and a bunch of uh, other whiteies out yeah. there, you know? Yeah. You mean that that disparate groups might have thought of themselves as more closely kindred than they do today? Yeah. Just on the surface level? And that... That what was good for these people was largely good for these people who were very much like them. You know, even if they lived like hundreds of miles away, that like generally if they lived in societies that were organized this way, it's good for them. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Whereas when you start, you know, uh, changing that drastically, it becomes not as good for them. Mm. And like, look, you know, just look at uh, look at how things are going. You know, white people are not exactly doing great right now, you know. Um, 
a thing, you know, it's like how many people are dying all the time with the, the fentanyl and people are in debt up to their eyeballs, you know. Um, and, and, and white people as a group are being attacked culturally and socially and genetically every, every which way. And it's, it's, it's physically. It's, and physically, yeah. It's, you know, it's, you know, things like affirmative action, which I can see people arguing exactly the opposite of this, but yeah, it's designed to help, uh, you know, uh, m- marginalized groups. But okay, it does that, but it's also harming. You know, this is whole. This is the 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 merit uh, the merit equity argument. Basically, it, it's it's potentially harming um, another group of people. So it's racist. It's just as racist. It's just you know pointed in a different direction. And, um, uh, so, like I was saying, it, they had to split us all up and get us arguing about a bunch of things that are not really important to our lives. You know, and. The reason that it's, you know, again, one can't properly orient and direct their future. So what kind of future, if we were all on the same page largely, you know, about minutia, there are arguments, but if we were largely all moving in the same direction and in agreement, what kind of future would we be orienting ourselves towards and directing ourselves towards that the, whoever is, uh, is encouraging this is so worried about? It's an interesting question, and my my lack of imagination here is, you know, is terrible. I I don't fucking know. I wonder if the future that they're worried about us directing ourselves toward is a future that looks a lot more like the past, you know? Hmm. Not, Not the past of 10 years ago, not the past of 20 years ago, but the past of, you know... A few thousand years ago. Mm. I mean, I'm not talking about getting rid of technology or anything like right, that, but right. I'm talking about the ways in which we deal with each other, the way in which we deal with other people, um, the things that we see as important. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'm wondering if that's what they don't want us to go back to. That's interesting because uh, Asha Logos does talk about the divide and conquer nonsense. He uses that phrase. And uh, what you're describing is um, a world divided arbitrarily. And fight infighting so that they aren't able to stand uh, in unity, strongly in unity, and push back against against whatever power has been doing the, the, the manipulation. And if that's the case, it's we're just much easier to manipulate. And I, and I realize that might be like a globalist conspiracy theory sort of uh, angle, but it makes sense. It makes sense that that that, that might be the the goal of it. I mean, we're in a, we're in a, an election year right now, and it, that's when these sort of tactics ramp up. And right now, I'm particularly sensitive to the divide and conquer, and how well it works. And we're and that, I mean, we're seeing it. We're seeing it right now. Yeah, I do like to think that maybe it's starting to work less well, though. I hope so. Uh, yeah, maybe it's just me trying, like, trying to be optimistic. Wishful but, thinking. Yeah. So I want to tell you a couple things about this that stood out to me. Um, you might have noticed uh, the way I responded or the way I reacted to this quote. The blood that thro- flows through our, your veins has lived before, countless times before. God damn, that's, there's something so mystical and youngian about that. It just makes the hair stand up on my arms. It's like when people talk about their genetic inheritance and their DNA, that's your blood. And we, we have all these euphemisms like, you know, blood's thicker than water and, you know, your, your kin is your blood and, and, and all these things that we say in the culture that mean something still, uh, but maybe not as much as it once did. But what he's describing what that means is like 
the, the code in my DNA can be traced back to the beginning of life. Mm-hmm. And that unique path that my ancestors took to get to me, which is completely unique for, to me and, and different from everyone else, although follows a similar trajectory in our family groups and our kin groups, um, that, that that is blood that has lived before. My father, my grandfather, my great-grandfather. These were individual human beings with personalities and desires and goals and accomplishments and, and you know all of these things of their own. That is an inheritance somehow that belongs to me. It doesn't just belong to me. It flows through my veins. And to, to say that you can't be proud of that, <clears throat> that it's racist to be proud of that, I mean, I, I can't imagine a, a more ridiculous thing to say. Not only does it flow through your veins, it informs everything about you. I mean, the blood is like, uh, you know, blood is, you know, historically like a very symbolic Mm. thing, you know. But I I think if you think about it in like a modern scientific context, I I don't always like I think a lot of times modern scientific way of thinking just robs things of their mysticism. But if you think about genetics, uh, genetics is like a mystical. I mean, you know, it's like. Like you're talking about with the blood, like you're just everything about you, mm. uh, you know, like the, like I said, the blood is a very like one thing, like a very simple, but the, the genetics, man, I mean, it like makes up, it makes up everything that you are. hundred percent. It's like, like just while we're talking from like a rate, like a racial perspective, just the fact that we have pale skin, we all know the scientific reason for that, right? It's like when our ancestors moved to the North. Proximity to the equator, and and we needed more vitamin D in our bodies, and our dark colored skin wasn't wasn't allowing us to absorb it. At some point, one of our ancestors had a mutation that was advantageous that spread across the entire population group. So what what we're saying is that we're inheriting the benefit of 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 an an un um, of a uh, an unnumbered amount of people suffering to get to that change that was beneficial that we inherit, and that's and. So I'm born with this advantage that comes from my ancestors. I have this inheritance. And it, that's just one example. What other examples, what other suffering and torment and challenges that actual living, breathing human beings had to, had to conquer to be able to continue, to be able to have life continue so that I might exist in the future? And we inherit all of that, you know? Mm-hmm. Another thing about this that I liked was the question that he asks when he says, how can we know ourselves as individuals? And I, you can see what I put there. It reminds me of, um, of the Temple of Delphi. I talk about this all a lot. But the Temple of Delphi um, in ancient Greece where people would go to speak to the, to the priestess. And in the temple was carved, know thyself. That was the dictum. When you went to see the priestess, you were, in, you were intended to meditate on this. Know thyself. And when he asked that question... How can we know ourselves as individuals? I just feel like he's asking this perennial question. Know thyself. Mm-hmm. All right, anything else before we move on? Um, no. All right. I don't think so. All right, and again, just to reiterate this last, this last um, quote that I read where he's talking about, look, I'm doing this not to, not to proclaim the greatness of white people, although he says Indo-European people, or to illustrate, you know, all the achievements and contributions that we made to the world or whatever. And he's certainly not doing it to put down other groups. He wants to set, he wants to set the record straight from a historical perspective. And I want to say before we carry on too far that there's an element, there's two elements going on with Asha Logos in this, in this series. 
Um, the first one is um, a, a pushback, clearly a pushback against political correctness and the revisionist history that are, are just political and social tools of manipulation. He's pushing back against that. I think in this day and age, most people can see it very clearly and easily. And that's what he opened with when he said, most of us realize the subversion of our financial and political systems, our media and entertainment. This is what he means. Mm. He's pushing back against this. Um, but he also has this Graham Hancock kind of a thing going on. And he says at the end of the first episode that this is one person that was a big influence on him. And he means alternative history. Yeah. The ability to look open-mindedly at, at information and to and to allow yourself to consider other possibilities that that the mainstream historians, archaeologists are saying. Is there another possible explanation? Yeah. So there's a lot of this, and when we start getting into the specifics of his argument, I want you to understand that that if it some of it is some of it may seem like a stretch. The same way when you read Graham Hancock, you think okay, some of this is really intriguing and some of it might be a stretch. I don't know how you feel about it, and I can point it out where I, th- where I think it, it might be a stretch, um, but it's, it's, it's honest ways of looking at alternative interpretations of history, and some of it is more believable than others. That's all, that's all I want to say. Uh, yeah, I, there are, like I said, I don't necessarily know that he has all of the details right, but I will say that I'm at a point in my life where I have like I've made a conscious effort to get rid of all of the like I think you'd be surprised the amount of things that I could like entertain as as possibly true. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like so many things are built on such uh such a weak foundation that it's like, I just have to get rid of all of this stuff, you know? Um, so much of uh, history and not, you know, not just not just this kind of human history. I'm talking about, like, the origins of the world. I have no idea. Like, these scientific models, I don't believe them at all. Maybe they're true, but I don't, I don't really... I, I, I'm kind of skeptical of it, to be honest with you. Well, there's, a, there's such thing as healthy skepticism. I think that's, I think that's fair. Yeah, and I'm, and again, like you go to history class and you just accept everything. People accept these scientific notions, just like, oh, this has got to be true. Big Bang, that's it. Yep. No way it happened any other other way. Yeah. You know, or there's any other interpretation of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I, I don't really remember where I was going with <laughs> that's that. That's okay. But well, that brings me to the next section, which next I'm gonna section. I'm gonna call the argument. All right. All right, so I can read some of this. We can stop and go as you want to, but um, the argument. So it goes like this. We no longer allow positive things to be said about those of Indo-European background as a group. And simultaneously, we not only allow but encourage negative things. The opposite is true of every other group. So that's what we just said. He said, we're told we're all blank slates and fresh starts, entirely formed by our environment. That's something that... That's one of those things that in the past few years I've just completely let go of. The, I do, the tabula rasa idea that we're yeah. all blank slates, I do not believe it. Yep. Yeah, so that's interesting because I think it's tied to like the, um, the IQ testing controversy, racial differences in IQ testing and things like that. It's like if we're all born blank slates, 
that the only possible variable is the environment. So if certain groups of people um, don't develop uh, as high IQ as others, that must mean we need to pour a bunch of money into the social economic conditions of their society because there's nothing innate in them that, that is causing that difference. It must be external. This is just one controversial application of this idea. If we're all blank slates, then we're all equal with equal capacity as babies and can become as just as successful as anybody else. There's no reason that our outcomes should be different. This is tied to the whole equity push that we're seeing today. And it's tied to that, but it's also like, and this is this isn't one of those things that might make people uncomfortable. It's like one of those uh, those presuppositions that you have that you should question, and it's going to make you uncomfortable. That tabula rasa blank slate idea is one of the foundational things that like the Enlightenment and the West were built on. Th those are foundational ideas to our modern Western culture, and they're wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And this whole thing, and, and when Kyle says they're wrong, and I say absolutely, just nodding my head, the reason I say that is because, for scientific reasons. So when he says that we're all blank, st blank slates and fresh starts if formed entirely by our environment, like this is what we're told and taught, that ignores epigenetics entirely. It ignores the idea that we can pass things on to our, to our kids. It ignores inheritance entirely. It erases your history. It ignores it ignores the science that they value so much directly. I mean, I mean, I know that's what you're saying, yeah. but like, uh, like they have they've done tons of things, like twin studies, like twins separated at birth. Yeah, one of them goes to this kind of an environment, one of them goes to this, and they they end up very similar, regardless of the environment. <laughs> right, right. Um, it's it's interesting stuff, and like that kind of stuff, people. If there was a scientific study that proved the opposite of that, people would f love it. You know, they would quote it all the time. Right. But there's this study that exists, and they don't. They won't touch it with a. You know, what is it? Thirty nine and a half foot pole. Yeah. Well, let me let me make everybody uncomfortable for a second. Just notice how uncomfortable this makes you. What would it mean if we're not all blank slates? What would it mean? It means that we're different. What would it mean? If some people are born with different capabilities and potentials than other people. The moment you say that, people will suggest that makes some people better than others. And in some cases, and it depends on what the measuring stick is, right? Yeah. It's okay for some people to be better than others. Everybody you know in your life is better than you at something. I don't, I don't quote Michael Malice very much anymore, uh, but you know he's got good lines on occasion. Uh, and one of the earliest ones that I remember from him is how do you find out if someone is right as a right wing or left wing? And so you ask them, are some people better than others? <laughs> and a right wing person says, yes, yes, some people are better than others. Yeah. And a left wing person gives you a speech. That's interesting. And that, and that makes there's some people listening that are uncomfortable with that. Are some people better than others? And your mind might go a million. Like I said, the measuring stick can be different. Are some people morally better? I'm not talking about groups of people. Individuals. Are some individuals better than others? Are some better at basketball? Are some better at weightlifting? You know, are some better at making love to a woman? Are some, are some, are some better at mathematics, right? Are, yes, of course. Everybody you've ever met has got different capabilities and aptitudes. And is it possible that some of those things cluster by kinship group? 
Is it possible that me, like all like like my cousins, have similar IQ? Of fucking course it can. Yep. Um. What's funny is that a lot, of, like, a lot of people, I would say the vast majority of people, when it comes down to like an individual basis, they, of course, that's true. Like that guy's smarter than that guy. Like nobody. I don't know, and, and I think that even inherently, people know that like. No, this guy, no matter what kind of schooling this guy got, he's not going to be as smart as this guy. It's just like, I wor- you know, I work with people and they're related. I, I don't want to get too specific about people that I work with, but I work with two people and they're very closely related. And um, they are actually very different. But again, I, I don't, there's reasons for that. You know, I, 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 I just don't want to be too specific right. about real yeah. life people. But, yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, I. I mean. Oh, how do I? How do I get this across without uh, sounding completely terrible? Uh, just in. So I work with people. I. I I'll just. I don't. I'm not saying names or anything. I'm yeah. not saying where I work. They're father and son. Okay, and the son is way way sharper and um, more competent at like pretty much everything he does than the father is. And you know what? I'm just going to, I'm just going to put this whole thing out there because I, so they're Puerto Rican. Okay. And I've, they've said uh, explicitly to me that they don't particularly like white people. Um, You know, they made it seem like, you know, you're okay. Um, You're one of the good ones. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the son, his, his mom is white. And he was like, that's the tainted side of me. Hmm. I have a, I have a, uh, a strong suspicion that that tainted side of you is the reason you pick things up so much quicker, you know? Uh, because I, I work with you both, you know, like I know that I know I can see the competency, the, the difference in competency. Right. Uh, now, that's making lots of people uncomfortable, yeah, and I sure realize I realize how why you're hesitant to say it. But if if you're looking at inheritance as the as the if you're comparing strictly on that basis, what could make that the difference between these those two very closely related people? Well, that's the that's the elephant in the room, isn't it? And that doesn't mean see this is the thing big white elephant we're, in the room. <laughs> we're we're going to get to this at the end, and I want to talk about this in a little bit more detail. But it's not about better or worse comprehensively we all we all know this if if somebody as a stereotype asian people specifically east asian people really good at math and science right that's that's something that's a stereotype where am i going with this um, i lost my I lost my thread happens to the best of them man but i guess the point is i don't know what the point is i think another thing that's interesting is that a lot of these people who are very uncomfortable right now, when it comes to specific groups, again, you they make exceptions for the other groups. It's us that's not allowed to feel this way. But if you ask a person, hey, what kind of group of people has, you know, you know, generally really high IQs? There's like Asians and Jews, you know? Uh, and it's okay for them to they those groups to have those Ashkenazi high IQs. Jews specifically. specifically right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, but yeah, but I guess the point I was trying to make is when I was saying comprehensive, it's like somebody could have something that they're particularly adept at, 
And it could be something that is, like I suggested earlier, genetically inherited or the capacity or potential genetically inherited. And you can see it across, you know, small family groups. You can see it across larger, larger uh, ethnic groups, let's say. And that's what st- where stereotypes come from. But that's not going to make the Asian guy good at basketball. It's not going to make him athletic in that way. Mm-hmm. And we and we and we could point to a very a different group of people who I'll avoid specifically addressing that has that particular capability. You know, very tall, very athletic, fast twitch, muscle muscle fiber, all these things that lends to a particular aptitude. It, it's we're not talking about something comprehensively being better or worse. A group being comprehensively better or worse. That's nonsense. It has it means nothing. We're we're all multifaceted and complex and and we all have different strengths and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. You know? There's nothing should be nothing controversial about that. I agree. And I mean I also don't think that it's like uh particularly bad for a person who is a part of one group to say, I'm glad I'm a part of this group. I, you know, because, because they've been raised in those traditions and that's what's comfortable to them. And the idea of going and doing things a completely alien way, it's like, no, I don't want to do that. I don't think that's bad. You know, that's, that's fine. I completely understand. And the, and the idea that those characteristics in a particular group exist today, that means they carried on from the past all the way to the present means that they're valuable enough that evolution has selected them for survival. And that's and we see lots of different people still surviving for lots of different reasons. Why should we why should anybody um, not, not be proud of, of of that inheritance? Something that nature values enough to continue to perpetuate into the future. If nature values it, who the fuck are you to say otherwise? Yeah. If that's the way you think about things. I, you, yeah, I could say I could say nature, or I could say nature with a capital N, and that's it's wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I'm talking about God, right? But whatever. Yeah. All right. Uh, okay. So, so he's pushing back against this idea that we're all blank slates and fresh starts. He says this: if we start with the premise that there are no differences between peoples, any historical record that seems to highlight differences must be misinformed or a product of racism. One follows from the other, mm-hmm. right? If everyone's a blank slate and you notice differences, you're either wrong or racist. That's the narrative. He says, if you'd like to be fired, ally yourself with practically every major thinker prior to 1945. I love that he, uh, the, the line right before that, it's amazing that this is stuck in my head, but it's because it's a good line and he's taking a dig at Jared Diamond, the guns, germs, and steel guy. He's like, uh, if you want, I don't know, I speak, forget specifically, but it's like if you want people to pat you on the back, align yourself with the offensively stupid ideas of Jared Diamond or yeah. something like that. Yeah. You know? You it, know. The only reason I didn't include yeah, that is because I, I never read the book, so I don't really know what, yeah, what he yeah. says in it. I, I, I've not read the book either, yeah. but I've, I've listened to people talk about it. And then he says this. He asks a question, which is more likely? All great pre-World War II thinkers from nations all across the world were vicious racists driven by hatred or that our current politically correct atmosphere is preventing honest discussion on controversial topics? It's That's like the dumbest question in the world because one of them is so much fucking... It's so much more obvious, you know, that, uh, that the politically correct atmosphere is preventing honest discussion on controversial topics. Like, that is clearly 
the culprit in the you know given those two options i think he follows this by saying the answer is obvious oh, so, yeah. so yeah, but you know you know what i'm tempted to do here is to fall back on what i criticized um other people for a moment ago and appeal to authority. So when he says, which is more likely that all the great pre-World War II thinkers from all across the world were vicious racists or blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I mean, the gall of the modern uh, progressive type, lefty type, to rewrite history against the consensus opinion of all the great thinkers of history. It's like the fucking gall. That's a little bit different, though. That's a little bit different, you know. It's like um, if I'm arguing with my dad about what happened at a Led Zeppelin concert, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't go to the Led Zeppelin concert. Right. He was at the Led Zeppelin concert. Yeah, yeah. So it's a good point. It, it's not that it's not that he's speaking from a position of authority, like some, like a professor who is lecturing and he's like, I just read a bunch of books. I, you know, I, I didn't live in ancient Greece. Right. I read a bunch of fucking books. Yeah. Whereas my dad was at the Led Zeppelin yeah. concert. So these, uh, these great pre-World War II thinkers, you know, they were alive before World War II. And if you don't think that the world is a drastically different place after World War II, that, that World War II completely change the face of culture all across the world then you're stupid yeah and I th- that's a good point and I think it's linked to what he said at the very beginning about becoming skeptical of the conventional hist- historical narrative and wanting to focus only on f- first-hand accounts and primary sources uh, of history rather than relying on you know commentary or whatever because when you when you want to know what the world was like in, in the ancient times reading Herodotus and reading Tacitus is far more informative than some asshole at Oxford trying to tell you in 2024 what it was like. Trying to tell you that the Vikings were black? Yeah, yeah. Survive the jive. Check that channel out. All right. All right. Uh, all right. And this is where, this is where you're going to start to see some of the conspiracy theory, uh, Graham Hancock stuff creep in. But I've seen it so much, I'm just going to read it. I, I, Go ahead. You mentioned Graham Hancock, and I meant to say this earlier. I think it's funny that he said about Graham Hancock that something about Graham Hancock not understanding the depths of the subversion or yep. something like that. And I'm sure that Graham Hancock heard that his head would explode. He'd be yeah. like, oh, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think that Asher Logos is right, actually. I think that even though he's like a smart person and he's a curious person and he's been turning over stones his whole life I do think that there are he's a lib you know he there are certain stones that he won't turn over yeah. he won't touch those fucking stones you know so you, you know what's popping in my head right now you remember our conversations about postmodernism yeah about questioning all the uh, the the assumptions and the yeah. and the the brutal critique of all that exists yeah yeah and as much as I dislike Postmodernism um, at a at a fifty thousand foot level, they're very true, very very accurate when they say that people people don't realize the amount of assumptions and things they take for granted that are that they consider so fundamental they never even think to question it. Lots of idea sets, postmodernism included, have good things about yeah. them. You know, things that you can and should take out. And if you don't, you're doing yourself a disservice. I, I completely think that about things like Marxism, Leninism. Read that shit and if it works, 
take that. Take what works. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. If it's effective, adopt it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we need we need every tool in the toolbox we can get. True. So that's the lesson of mixed martial arts, you guys. <laughs> all right, all right. Here we go. He says various organizations have been created to lock down important sites and control archaeological research. In America, the Smithsonian has a nasty habit of misplacing artifacts that don't cleanly fit the conventional model of history, and the youth are taught that it's practically heroic to tear down statues of white historical figures. In Sweden, the Minister for Culture, a lady named Alice Kuhn, Kuhnke, has ordered Viking artifacts to be melted down and recycled. From every angle, history is being destroyed and rewritten. Yep. What justification can Alice possibly have to melt down Viking artifacts and recycle them. Racial hatred. Is there not, is there not a better source of bronze than, than invaluable historical artifacts? You would assume For so. For Christ's sake. You would assume that we might be able to like mine some up or, you know, there's like a park bench that we could melt down instead of a, yeah, a park bench from the 70s that right. we could melt down. And this idea he brings up about tearing down statues of historical white, white figures in America... If you don't think that is is a part of rewriting history, you're insane. When we were we were taught to be proud of the founding fathers, to be proud of being American, to be proud of the Constitution, um, you know, George Washington is like a mythical f- character in American history, and and all that serves a purpose, a, cul- a uniting cultural purpose, and to think that. Young kids in college are ripping those statues down. Isn't isn't completely topsy turvying the 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 unifying narrative of America? You're insane. Yep. Uh, and from a you know like an establishment regime perspective, think about Confederate statues. You know, I understand that the con- again. The Confederacy is attached to some things that make you feel just kind of icky, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but how much do you know about Robert E. Lee? Precious little. Yeah, you should look into Robert E. Lee. He's an interesting person and, like, not what you would expect. Not like some vicious racist, like, kind of like a, like an American aristocrat. Mm. Like a nobleman. You know what I mean? Uh, and... He's now he's like the devil. You know, he might as well have horns. There's no room for nuance in propaganda. It's, it, prop, the effectiveness of propaganda breaks down if there's any niches. You can't have any nuance. It has to be black and white. Mm-hmm. You know, and no pun intended, but there it is. Yeah. Oh boy. Okay. All right. This is this is also really interesting, and I have to say, it's one of those things that I am guilty of. And this is what he says. Our understanding of history is now so poor that many believe the Germanic peoples just milled about the forest for millennia, that the Vikings were savages, and that the Italic, Germanic, and Celtic peoples are not only fundamentally separate and distinct from one another, but have little connection to the mounted Aryan element that roamed and subjugated large swaths of the Middle East, the steppe, and down into Greece, India, and East Asia. He says those were all actions of a single larger family. Now, you said earlier that I'm not a dumb person and I'm not and I'm not uncurious. 
I love ancient history. I fucking love it. Yeah, but there's certain aspects that they won't give you. There's certain connections that they won't give you. I believed. I never questioned. I'm not saying I believed it. I'm saying I never questioned otherwise that the Germanic tribes just milled about the forest for millennia. That sounds... That's that's what I believe. That's what I fucking thought, right? That they... they, And they just... these, These... civilizations emerge out of nowhere and we're going to he's going to say that in a bit that's how i believed and the fact that like i said at the beginning of our conversation about how different a gaelic uh human a uh, uh, person from wales is from a from a you know a mediterranean white person they're both white white people but they're very very different there's almost nothing connecting them yeah. and this is what he's saying here most people believe the italic germanic and celtic peoples were not only separate and distinct but have no connection to one another yeah, and they, he mentions the uh, the connection to the mounted Aryan element that roamed and subjugated large swaths of, you know, all of the, yeah. basically that area. And I was taught in, you know, in school and just like, you know, my own reading of establishment narrative history that the Scythians were like Asian you know, like right. some kind of, you know, Asian admixture. And I think that that was true, like later in history that mm-hmm. they did mix. But when you read the, uh, like the more, the historical sources that are closer to the Scythians, they sound like white people to me. Right. Um, yeah, the, the Greeks, uh, the Greeks thought of them like cousins yeah. of the Greeks. Yeah. It's interesting, man. It's very interesting. Um that that book I was telling you about about the land the land of the noble something some some like religion and the land of the no- I don't remember something like that I'm, I should have fucking found that book um, that was the first place I learned about the religious connections Dias Potter connected to Zeus and Jupiter and all that the yeah. first when I was first introduced to that I listened I heard about that listening to a podcast about uh, the development of the English language oh interesting interesting inter- interestingly enough yeah. That's yeah. how I heard about that. Um, and, and when I first was introduced to the idea of Proto-Indo-European um, as a group and um, how, how they spread so far that the word Ireland and the word Iran mm-hmm. both come from the word Aryan. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yep. And it, it's crazy that, you know, it, Iran was Persia for mm-hmm. a long time. And from what I understand... Uh, the H man, mm-hmm. mean Mister Mustache, he played a, uh, a serious role in them becoming Iran. I did, uh, yeah. I, did I don't know if that that's too. true or not, but I bet it is. Well, it was, it was, it was Mustache Man um, looking for the roots of the Aryan people. And you remember, he had like scientific yeah, expeditions yeah. that went to Nepal. The re- the, re- <laughs> the the reason that they went to Iran is because there's a very distant one of the largest branches of the Indo-European people. They're called Indo-Iranian people mm-hmm. now. That 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 spread through India and, and Iran. Yep. And again, how much do we know about what what conclusions uh, Old Uncle Adolf drew from those that that information? You know, like none of that stuff is wrong. He's not wrong about any of that stuff. You know, like that. It's all historic. Like he, right. he he's hunting out true history. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what to make of that. I also want to point out something, 
And you kind of hit on it a little earlier when you talk about the the intermixing that happened when the Indo-European people spread throughout the world. They became different groups over time because of that, mixing cultures, mixing DNA, all all that sort of thing. Um, But I want to point out that if the Proto-Indo-European people spread to Ireland and to India and to Iran and even further east, we don't consider Indian people, Iranian people, and, and Irish people to be part of the same racial group today. And the point of this is that they are. And how can you be a white supremacist or, a, or, or whatever word you want to tag to it if what you're claiming is that you are part of a family that includes brown people, for it, to put it really bluntly? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not 100% sure that I would take it that far, to be honest with you. Like, the people who live in India and Iran now, I mean, Iran, I really I really don't know. I mean, maybe it's like Arab admixture that's getting in there that, you know. Um, but I'm not sure that those people are, I, they, they clearly have some, I think even genetics will say that there's, uh, some of that Indo-European stock is still there, but I think it's there's a lot of like other things mixed in at this sure. point. Whereas, you know, the, the European continent, I, I'm pretty sure that you know there's mixing going on there too. But I'm, and again, I'm not trying to be. This is like look into the genetics. Watch that survive the jive channel. Europe, the European people, the white European people are genetically the most similar to you know what what we know of as the in the original indo-european people yeah we, I, we maintain more of that genetic uh lineage than any any of the other branches yeah, yeah and I, I also want to add it's it's more complicated than when we say that indo-european people are are europeans ancestors that's true but we know that there are other white-skinned people that weren't Indo-European. Um, as an example, the Basque people that live in Spain mm-hmm. have a language and a, and a genetic inheritance that is entirely different. Like they're isolated in the mountains. It's entirely different from the rest of the Indo-European family. Yeah, And they're, they're, they're not the only group. There's another one that, that I just can't seem to think of at the moment, but the Basques are a good example of that. And they are mixed with in with the... The Finns? I think the F- Finnish people might be yeah, you might less be. related to the Indo-European. You might be right. Yeah. You might be right about that. Because Finnish is not an Indo-European language. That doesn't mean that their genetic stock isn't. Yeah. Um, you know, like like French people, they speak a Latin language, but genetically, they're basically Germanic. You know, yeah. they have been the entire time. The Franks were German and like the Lombards at the, the top of Italy, they, yeah. they were those are Germanic people. They're not right. Roman. I think, the, I think the Gauls were Celts. Yeah, they were. Yeah. All right. So this next section is really the final section leading up to the conclusion. And I, what I did is I broke this down into geographical sections. Um, I'm going to call this section the evidence. The Indo-European peoples. Who are they? Mm. Okay. And this is where some of the stuff I started with. What I thought was the strongest. And again, who am I? I? I didn't deeply study this, but I started with what I think is the strongest historical evidence, and I kind of finish off with, with what I think is the weakest. So I'm going to start with a paraphrase uh, rather than reading a direct quote from him, and it's something like this. The Indo-Europeans had a tradition of exploring, migrating, conquering, and settling, leaving telltale signs of their influence. So what are those, what are those telltale signs? Horses? a tradition of horse riding, 
the use of chariots, the symbol of the swastika or the sun wheel, the caste system for social organization, and similar religious pantheons. So this goes back to the Dius Potter, Sky Father, All Father in Norse, and you know Zeus and Jupiter, all and Tyre and Two, and all these gods that are associated with this original Proto-Indo-European high god. Um, that connects the Celts, the Germanic tribes, to people as far away as ancient Persia and India, maybe even further east than that. Mm -hmm. So this is the idea. There is a tradition that's diversified in lots of ways in different directions over geography and time, but there's a unifying thing that goes back to them belonging to this Indo-European family. And these are the telltale signs. When you see these things, you can be pretty sure that there's some connection to the Indo-European people, and it gives evidence of, of Euro European people belonging to this greater family, united by this historical context. Yep. All right, and he, he goes on. He, he says, similar architecture, such as pyramids and mound graves. And he shows pictures in the videos of diff you know, different pyramid structures and mound yeah, that's, structures. That's one aspect of it that I don't get as much because generally when I'm listening, I'm just listening. I'm like at oh, work and okay. I'm, I'm not watching the actual video. So. Yeah. I added some, like here, shows. I added some of the details of what was being shown. So I'll, I'll keep reading. He says, and we find the swastika everywhere, a symbol sacred to the Indo-Europeans. And this is where he shows examples of swastikas from all different parts of the world and different, different cultures. And he shows the earliest known example that we have evidence of. He says it belongs to the Samara culture and dates back to 4000 BC. So it is an ancient, ancient symbol, right? That's old. He says, he says it seems to be a hallmark of a relatively singular people and culture with traces left on every continent as a testimony to their reach. Now, when he says every continent, he's including North and South America. And those are the things that I think are, the, are not that I'm saying I disbelieve them, but they're more of a stretch just because of the, the, the distance between them. And I saved that stuff for the end. So the, the skepticism there is due to the fact that, you know, the oceans in between yeah, them and things exactly. like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, in this first episode, he referenced Thor Heyerdahl. He sure does. And... It's and the experience, pretty rock solid, man. Like, uh, if Thor Heyerdahl could do it with a, a balsa wood raft now, yeah. without anything that they wouldn't have had back then, humans are intrepid, man. They especially are. these fucking Indo-Europeans, man. Listen, they man, get out there. People, people made it all the way to Easter Island in the middle of nowhere. They're capable of doing miraculous things. And I'm not saying that, that it's impossible. I'm just saying I saved that stuff to the end because there's a bigger challenge in getting there. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I, uh... I don't know. I, again, like I've said it a couple of times, I don't know if he has all the details right, and maybe right. this is one of them, but I don't have that hard of a time believing that. And it basically just based on that Thor Heyerdahl thing. Yeah, no, no, I understood. And we did an episode, I did an episode on Thor Heyerdahl, if you guys want to. He's an interesting guy. Yeah, very interesting. Um, all right, and then the last thing I want to say before we get into the details is he says, the ancient Persians, like the surrounding Thracians, Scythians, Sumerians, and others, whom would later migrate into Europe, were Aryan people of the Indo-European cultural and linguistic root. So this is just saying, look, the number of, of, of important historical tribal people in, in the world that trace their roots back to the, the original Indo-European people, they're all of those people. 
So there's evidence of, the, of us being a family uh, with cultural and linguistic and genetic inheritance that we share. So they, most people believe that the Proto-Indo-Europeans came from the steppe of southern Russia, that, that, that somewhere in that neighborhood is where they were originated, and uh, they, they moved to the rest of the world. So this, this section is just what he talked about specific to the Indo-European people making their way into the Near East. And again, we have so much evidence of the Indian and Iranian, you know, the Avestan literature from, from Iran, the Zoroastrian religion, the Rig Veda and the Vedic um, culture in, in ancient India. Those people and those languages are clearly Indo-European. Mm -hmm. And we know that they encountered other people, they call them Dravidian people when they came into India, uh, that were already there. And they're different from the Indo-European people that mixed with them and so forth. So there's, there's irrefutable so, you know, historical, archaeological, and genetic evidence of this. So this is why I started here. And he says, The Aryan invaders swept into India in approximately 1500 to 1700 BC, establishing that hallmark Indo-European tradition called the caste system. Worshipped Indra as their highest god, whom historians long thought to be equivalent to the Norse Thor. The Rig Veda repeatedly refers to Indra's yellow hair and beard. Mm -hmm. So we're going back a long ways, and you're seeing in India reference to yellow hair and beards, right? Yep. Uh, I think he also says something about Indra fighting like the swarthy adversary. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting. Yeah. So I mean, and not only is he referenced as blonde-haired, you know, uh, yellow hair and beard, but also. In juxtaposition, he's compared to somebody who is swarthy. Yeah. So this is funny. Remember when I told you earlier that I'm, I was curious it, what you would think about what I chose to include and leave out? Mm. That was specifically something I left yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Because it may, you know, because it's like... Uh, and because, it, because it's doing more... It's doing more than saying there's evidence of these European uh, people being being there and, and coming into that part of the world. It's sort of like a like you say a juxtaposition against you know smaller, more wild, darker haired people. Yeah, and uh, people can read can read supremacy into that, and that's why I left it out. Yeah, um, well, even I'm, even though this is this is historical. I mean, we're not. Yeah, we're not it's talking not. About, I mean, you're reading of a. a, a it, this is a quote from a very, very old text. You know, it's nothing. The, the oldest, oldest holy book in the world. Yeah. You know. Uh, yeah, and I, the reason I bring it up is not to say, you know, those the swarthy adversary is evil or anything like that. They they were living in a place and they were fighting people who were coming to that place, and that's what people do. When people come to your place, you try to kill them. Yeah, you yeah, know well, that's the that's yeah. The the reason I bring it up is because of the juxtaposition. Mm. You know, it's like it's they're not both the same. There weren't there weren't yellow haired bearded people there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I get you. All right, then he says. King Darius of the Achaemenid, um, ruling, Achaemenid. Achaemenid ruling family in Persia goes out of his way to claim to be of the Aryan race. And so he reads this inscription from um, a place called Nakesh-e-Rastam, and, it and it's just a, a carving somewhere, and it goes like this. I am Darius, the great king, king of kings, son of Hestapsis, an Achaemenid, a Persian, an Aryan, having Aryan lineage. 
So here you have examples of um, the, the yellow-haired, bearded people coming into India, and you have historical reference to the ruling class of ancient Iran being proud and, and uh, you know, writing it down in stone for the world to know forever that he was, a, he was an Aryan. Yep. I remember when I first watched these videos, one of the things that I was like, one of the things that like made me, I guess made me uncomfortable in the first, uh, when I you know, first started thinking about these things is like, basically, it's like all of the people who are, have been in power and have been good ruler, even, even bad rulers too. Uh, but a lot of times these Indo-European people find themselves in a position where they're shaping history. Mm-hmm. You know, they're doing important things uh, that are affecting the course of history. Uh, and it's just like, oh, all of our people are the ones who are important, you know? Yeah. But, I mean, even if even if Darius was not, you know, if people are like, oh, he's not, he's not one of you, well, then why is he claiming to be, you know? And even if he actually isn't, why does he want to associate himself with those people? What yeah. is the reason for him? Like, he sees value in being in close proximity to these people. He does. I think that something that's important has maybe been overlooked so far in the conversation is when, when we're talking about the tradition that the Aryan people brought to the places where they went, the caste system keeps coming up. Mm-hmm. And we know it really clearly in India because it still exists really clearly in India. But the idea is a form of social organization that divides people up into different tasks, right? So some people are leaders, some people are warriors, some people are farmers, some people are merchants, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like um, like uh, uh, you're born into that, right? So if, you're, if, you're, if your dad was the king, guess what? You're going to be one of the leaders. If your dad was a, a warrior, guess what? You're gonna be, you're gonna, you better learn how to, how to wield a sword. And, and that was an efficient way of organizing society, you know, maybe not the most efficient, but in ancient times, it was dramatically effective mm-hmm. in allowing them to have superiority over the other groups that didn't have that same type of social organization. And they were conquerors, right? If you come into a land and you conquer, who do you think you're going to make the ruling class? Somebody else? No. So the Aryans were the ruling class in that social organization. And so they that explains part of what you were just talking about. Yep. The association. It's the association of the Aryans with the ruling class. Did they talk on, or did he talk in this video about I can't remember the word. It's like cryotos, something like that, and it's this Indo-European tradition of sending out Oh, he did. Yes. Like the, you know, the young people. It's like, all right, running out of space you go out there and you get your own space you know yeah yeah yeah. Uh, these like these like roving war bands of young men that would just go out there and take you know yeah the the Viking Age of the Norse is a really good example of that yeah exactly because that's what Vikings were they were settlers they were people think that they they were rapists and pillagers and they were taking all their stuff and going back to Norway no they weren't they were going places conquering i mean they were but they were also settling yep you know i mean the, look at the dane law they 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 were in they affected the genetic you know that the vikings had a be- a bigger influence on the genetic history of britain than the romans did there's like almost no roman there's the, almost no trace of roman genetics in in england that's interesting yeah it's crazy that yeah. they could have been there for so long it show i mean it's like that almost seems like an example of this like caste system 
this like the Romans came up there and they conquered and it's like you are you and we're us and we don't breed with you right. you know yeah. Um, yeah. you know I'm sure there's some of it but obviously very little dude looking at the genetics yeah, that's interesting. very little yeah so yeah uh, okay so that's the Near East now we're gonna now we're gonna go to North Africa this is interesting this is fucking interesting he says we have evidence of tobacco and cocaine Right, materials that wouldn't have been available without long-distance trade networks, and red and blonde-haired mummies of the pharaohs discovered in recent decades. So when he says we have evidence of tobacco and cocaine, he's talking about from mummies. Yeah. Um, and, and I wasn't sure about this, so I looked it up. Turns out the greatest pharaoh of, of history, Ramses II, he's the one who we call Ramses the Great. Mm-hmm. His mummy has red hair. You didn't know that? Fucking no. And and they said that not only that, that he's likely from a family of redheads because it's a genetic, it's you pass it on, right? So the pharaohs from his line would have been red-haired pharaohs. It's not like it was one guy. The ruling class of ancient Egypt at their height were red-haired people. Interesting, huh? And then he says, he doesn't say this, but this is something I've, I looked up, that red hair was perceived in ancient Egypt to, to be a godly trait. So yeah. people with red hair were both feared and respected. That's, uh, that's true of red hair in like the British Isles too. It's, like a, it's tied to divinity. It's like they're closer to God than the people who don't have red hair. That's very interesting. So that's it for North Africa, but the idea that the idea that um, these common architectural styles like pyramids were connected, or in, in, in to Asha Logos anyway, connecting them to the Indo-European people, I, don't, I think historically, I don't know how the argument is made, yeah. but to suggest that and then to point to Ramses the Great as being red-headed, fucking A, man. You know what's interesting, and this is much later. I mean, I, we're talking about Egypt at this point, so this is way, way later. This is the 1200s. Yeah. Uh, they said that uh, Genghis Khan and his uh, progeny had red hair and green eyes. Oh, we're going to get there. Like, oh, yeah? Yeah, okay, yeah nice. we got some of that in here. All right. Which surprised the shit out of me. You you, you had to have known that because you listened to uh, Hardcore History, I, The Wrath of the Gods. That, that detail didn't stick. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So, and then he, he makes one reference to the British Isles. And I just want to say that the before we get into this, that it, it the... Greeks, at least the Mycenaean Greeks, the Minoans are perhaps a different story, but the Mycenaean Greeks were Indo-European people, and they swept down into Greece. They're, they're the ones that, that destroyed the Minoan uh, civilization. Um, they were Indo-European people, and I say that because we're getting ready to talk about Troy. So he references a guy named Geoffrey of Monmouth. Um, that may ring a bell for some people because some of the King Arthur legends, the oldest King Arthur legends, come from this historian Geoffrey of Monmouth. Yep. Um, he was a Catholic cleric who lived in Wales from 1095 to 1155 AD, and he wrote a famous history called The History of the Kings of Britain. So this is where you see some of the stories about King Arthur. But in The Histories of the Kings of Britain, he claimed that Brutus was the grandson of Aeneas, who left Troy after the Trojan War and traveled to Britain, and he was the founder of London. Yeah, so Aeneas left Troy and went to Italy, Mm -hmm. and... uh, then Brutus left there and went and founded founded London. Yeah, you, you had that there. Yeah. Um, I I can't remember what the original name for it was, but there, there was like a specific name. Oh, yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the British Isles. And go ahead again. Like uh, a lot of establishment history people would 
scoff at that. If you if you tried to entertain that as being a literal history, as something that really happened, they would laugh at you. Yeah. Uh, but it's like, why? You're thousands and thousands of years removed. If you if you just go to the wiki for Jeffrey Monmouth and you read about the history of the kings of Britain, it says exactly that. That's it's questionable veracity. The history is of questionable veracity. But you're right. Jeffrey Monmouth was fucking alive in the in the you know 1100s AD. And like, what are the people who saying that it's of crush, of questionable veracity? What are they basing that on? It's a good question. I wish I knew. I did too. They don't. They don't seem to be that like open with that stuff. You know. No. It's like it, the only thing they've got for you if you question it is you're silly. Duh, don't be silly. It's, it's the appeal to authority. I you're think either again. a you're either a big silly boy or you're a, a racist. A racist. Yeah. You know? Those are the options. All right. Now we're going to get into East Asia and this, some of this stuff here. I thought was. Maybe questionable, but I, I don't have anything to base that on. I just never heard it before, so it was took me aback. So he, he so okay, so we're going to talk about the Indo-Europeans in East Asia. He says, The Asaberg Buddha, found in Sweden, was placed in a Viking burial around 830 AD, and he shows a picture of this thing. And it is clearly a Buddha form sitting in the lotus position with four embossed swastikas on his chest. He says it wasn't imported, but created locally. And then he asked the question, might Buddhism and Buddha himself be traced to Indo-European peoples? I never heard that before. And then he says this. He shows a, a statue of um, what, what he calls the large Buddha, but I looked it up and it's called the Buddha of Bamiyan, it's a 6th century AD statue. There was actually two of them from Afghanistan. These were one of the statues, if you remember the Taliban blowing them up. Mm -hmm. It's one of those statues that no longer exists. Fuckers. It's 175 feet tall, and they show a video from the 70s, a clip of a video of these people seeing it. At the time, it was already defaced, like the face of the Buddha was gone. Um, but there were surviving paintings that were around the enclosure above his yeah, head, 175 feet up in the air. I have a memory of that from having watched it. Is that like the guy who's talking about? It, he's like they're defaced, but you can you can see what they look like. You know, it's like you can't see the maybe the faces, but you like you can see he's got red hair, he's got a red beard. Well, that's the thing. These paintings that were up above the guy's head, painted in the enclosure, um, they represent men with red hair and beards. And the statue is completely gone. You can't you can't verify that, but in this video you can see the paintings were of men with, with fair skin, red hair, and beards. Yeah. Then he shows this golden ornament. I'm not sure what it was. I couldn't quite track it down. He says it's the oldest depiction of Buddha ever discovered, and he points to the the face of Buddha as bearded with European facial features and hairstyle, and he's shown opposite Indra. And we remember Indra's connection with the Indo-European being the high god of the Indo-Europeans. And this is where, to me, it got, it got super interesting, and I don't know, like I wish I knew more about it. He says, the Buddha was from the Shakaya clan, also called Sakya or Sakai, which scholars tie to the linguistic root from which Scythian and ultimately Saxon is derived. And you can see it, you know, like it's a, uh, you know, when you, with the Indo-European words, like, it, uh, Modern English and modern German, like, y you can see how they're related. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, this building that you live in, what's it called? House. In German, you know what it's called? Hus. House. Oh, was it house? <laughs> yeah, it's just spelled H-A-U-S. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's called house. Yeah. Uh, the what you wear in, on your feet? Shoes. Shoe. 
Shua is plural. You know, they, they do plurals differently than we do. But, yeah, um, yeah it's like, so uh, the fact that it's, they are, they look like similar words. They, like, they have the same kind of uh, like consonant vowel structures yeah. and things like that. Sakai, Saxon, Shakya, Scythian. Yeah, it's interesting. So is it possible that the Proto-Indo-European people that made it that far into India, which we know they were there, where, where the Buddha was born, Gautama Buddha, was he part of a clan that was, that was from an Indo-European migration? That is perfectly possible, and I never considered it. Yeah. I mean, it's so so deeply associated with the people who are there now, you know, that exactly. they're like, why would you even think that? Exactly. But that's... It, it, what this guy's saying, you, you can look into it and you can see that he's not lying. Maybe there's some kind of, like, confusion. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's some kind of a, a, a missing puzzle piece that we don't have. But without that puzzle piece and without that confusion being cleared up, it seems like this would be, like, a worthwhile thing to mention. And sure. you know the uh, the the study of history. Absolutely, and I would I would love to hear the the argument against it, but it, you they're know. not willing to make that argument. No. All right. Then he says something interesting here. He says even before the time of Buddha, an Indo-European people we now call the Tocharians had pushed all the way to China, leaving mummified remains in the Terim Basin. We talked about the Terim mummies before. Um, he says these mummies on our episode with Josh, right? Was I, it? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Sounds like a topic we talk about with Josh. Uh, he says these mummies were found with tartan print clothing similar to the type found in Scotland. And I just want to add, these mummies were dated to 2000 BC. They have red and blonde hair, and they're wearing tartan plaid in China. It's a long way away from Scotland. <sighs> I don't think Ross has hiked that far. I don't, I don't think Ross has hiked that far. And then he says uh, a specialist in ancient DNA, a guy named Victor Mayer, uh, he stated this. He has a, a Victor Mayer quote. It says, The new finds force a reexamination of old Chinese books which describe legendary figures of great height with deep-set blue or green eyes, long noses, full beards, and red or blonde hair. So they clearly were there as far east as China. I think these mummies were found in the Gobi Desert or something like that. So, uh, And then this is where he gets to the Genghis Khan stuff. He says, okay. he says, Genghis Khan and his successor's sons were spoken of as having red hair and blue or gray eyes. According to the Persian Abu Ghazi, the tribal clan to which Timujin belonged were known as the gray-eyed men. And so, I, I, looked, I looked that up. The clan he belonged to is called the... Uh, can you pronounce that? Borigian clan? And it literally means gray-eyed or blue-eyed men. Interesting. Uh, you know, when I found this out, it actually kind of... Uh, I mean, I still like Dan Carlin's podcast. It's a very interesting podcast. But, like, he mentioned that, that they had, you know, or talked about as having red hair and blue or green eyes or gray. Yeah. Uh, and I get, I get why Dan Carlin is not like going down that path because it's a good way to have people cancel you and all that stuff. It's a can of worms. But it seems, I don't know, man. I, it's like you think I he, feel like it's a little intellectually dishonest of him, and you know, it's like uh, kind of cowardly, you know. Well, the question is, 
why in the world would people from Mongolia, which by the way is connected to the Russian steppe by nothing but steppe, right? The Russian steppe goes all the way to Mongolia, the huge grasslands with horse riding people. And yeah. the Mongols were, they got were known for their horse riding, just like the Indo-European. How could these people who are today very Asian, yeah. they look very Chinese, you know, they, they had that type. How could, how could somebody from that, by the way, from the ruling class of these, of these tribes in Mongolia have red hair and blue or gray eyes? How could that be possible? It could be a, it could be a strange mutation that just happened, or it could be influenced from, from another genetic stock. Yep. I mean, so, again, we're talking about, like, Chinggis Khan, I think, you're talking early 1200s, you know, like 12-teens, somewhere in that, when he really gets cooking. Um, so... That's late. I mean, you know, we're in year 2024, so that's a long time ago. But in comparison to the stuff we've been talking about, that's not that long ago. Right. Um, And it's crazy to think that that genetic admixture could have still been very prominent that far, you know, that that far into uh, the present. Yeah. And why that has been completely smashed, you know, that nobody talks about that, you know? Um, why? Why can't we know that Genghis Khan maybe had red hair? That's what great. is the uh, what's the hand? Because it's not like uh, th- these uh, what what are the the names of the mummies? What are they called? The Terim mummies. The ter- yeah. yeah, it's not like I understand that not a people not a lot of people know who what those mummies are. Most people never even heard of that. But you ask people who Genghis Khan is, most people have an idea of who that is. Right. Do they have any idea that he is listed as having red hair? I didn't. No. Yeah. That's amazing. Why is that why? Why 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 would that be something you would want to obscure? It seems like one of those unique historical facts that would be interesting because it's so hard to explain. It's so unusual. It would be something that you know you would want to you would you would remember, and yet it's You're obscured. forced to not remember it. Just like Ramsey's having red hair, obscured. Mm-hmm. I just figured Ramsey's was a you know, and I don't know I, I don't know if the ancient Egyptians were considered Arab, but I, you know something like that. That's what I would have assumed. Some mixture of maybe Nubian and and Arab people. Yep, it makes sense. You know because of what you know now in the present. Uh, it's like the same thing with Buddha. You know, like, why would you assume that he may have been Indo-European when he's, you know, that that area is all Asian, all of the people who worship him are, you know, whatever. Right. Uh, all the people who follow that tradition are Asian, unless they're, like, gay people from California, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> who are, like, pretending to be Buddhist. Right. You know. But, even, but see, even, that's the thing, is even today. I don't know why I'm picking on California. Even There's to- gay people here. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Well, even even today, the people the people in India, especially northern India, are Indo-European people. You know that we call them Asian, but they are Indo-European people, just like you, just like me. Yeah. All um, right. Are we still in? No, uh, that was that was it for uh, Asia. They mentioned uh, another thing was the the Daimo class in Japan. Another one that I specifically I specifically left out. So yeah, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Well, I mean, it's just that what I'm assuming you left it out because they are like a higher class. Exactly. But that's just the facts. It goes back to what we said before about the caste system and the ruling class being the you know the victors in the conquest. And so the idea here is that there are there is a 
a division in Japanese culture that I am completely unfamiliar with, where some people are, they, they, they look different than the other class, and they're considered to be higher status people. Yep. I don't know any of the details, but if you look at them, they're taller, they have thick beards, they have more th- angular noses. Mm-hmm. Yes. So there, so there's a possible, there's a, a suggestion that they may have been part of an Indo-European group that came, that came as far east as Japan. What they, and, and that they potentially inspired Bushido culture, yeah. which is like kind of similar to a lot of, uh, you know, like, uh, like the chivalric uh, knightly tradition and That's things like that. That's interesting, yeah. And, and they didn't say anything about this, but the other thing to mention when we're talking about Japan is the Anyu. The Anyu people that live um, in, the northern, in the northern islands, they used to live all over Japan. Now they live on reservations like, like Native Americans do in the United States. Um, and they have big white beards. You know, the, I'm just picturing the old men, big white beards. But they, have, they have big beards, which is very unusual for Asian, Asian stock uh, people. And, um, and there's suggestion that they were the original inhabitants of Japan and that they came from Russia. Mm. What's today Russia? Yeah, I mean, it's close, you know. So uh, if Thor Heyerdahl could get from where he went from to the United, well, you know. Yeah. I guess it was the United States at that point. Um, yeah, going from Russia to Japan doesn't seem like shit. It would be cake. Yeah. Yeah. So that brings me to the most speculative stuff. Oh. Go ahead. So with the Dymo thing and you not wanting to put that in there, you realize that you're like doing it for them. Yeah. You're like you're you're uh you're like upholding the lie. I wanted to make this argue I wanted to make um uh, Asha Logos's argument in the least controversial way possible. For that's what I wanted to do. Gotcha. That's what I wanted to try to do. Um and here I, I just I'll, come in like a bull in a china shop. I'll, I'll touch. I'll touch on it at the very end. Um, I, I want to try to get through the rest of this uh, a little bit quickly. But um, this is the uh, most, I think, the most controversial, but also the most Graham Hancockian of all of the uh, material that we're going to cover. Hancockian. This is the section that's I'm going to call "Into the Americas and Beyond." All right. And beyond. All right. He says this. Numerous statues, especially in South America, of bearded and fair-skinned men coming across the water to bestow knowledge and cultural gifts. So these appear uh, in South America. Which is not controversial. Yeah, not controversial. That's well known. Yeah. He says, according to Peruvian tradition, a nation with a white king called Contiki, or Contiki Vericocha, was said to have ruled the land before the Inca, his head is hewn in prehistoric stone statues high up in the Andes. This is, again, to Kyle's point, um, known history, you know, nothing controversial about it. It's also connected to the Aztec uh, god uh, Quetzalcoatl. I don't know how you say Quetzalcoatl. Yeah, um, he was also supposed to be a bearded white uh, uh, god, creator god. Um, and, and I want you to keep in mind that this... The word that they call him in the in the Peruvian language or uh, whatever, Contiki Vericocha, because he says in the Polynesian islands, people speak of the great Tiki who brought their ancestors to the islands. So now we're getting all the way out there. And he says in North America, there were countless stories of colonists unearthing bodies of Caucasoid skull shape, many extremely tall and several having natural red hair remaining intact. Despite hundreds of pictures and newspaper articles, little evidence exists today, 
as they were entrusted to and misplaced by the Smithsonian. Now, I told you I've been watching this uh, YouTube show called The Y-Files, and the guy talks all about um, cool shit, all about ancient mysteries, and I cannot tell you how many times in that episode some archaeological uh, piece uh, gets, gets talked about. It disappears, and it's, it's because it was sent to the Smithsonian. Another show I like to watch was a History Channel show called America Unearthed, and it's all about interesting shit about um, history in the United States and in South America and Central America and Canada, for that matter, that um, is little known or controversial. And uh, again, lots of those pieces of evidence lead to the Smithsonian where they disappear. Mm-hmm. Which I just think is interesting. Yeah, that's uh, I never watched that show, but when I watched this at first, you know, uh, especially some of the stuff that he's talking about, he's talking about like eight foot tall skeletons that got sent to the Smithsonian that they misplaced, and you get, I'm like, oh, I don't know about that. That sounds a little crazy. So you look into it, and you're like, oh no, it's like they apparently do have a reputation for losing things. Isn't that interesting? And you know what I learned, dude? There was this uh, law that was passed. A while back, and it said it was like a Native American artifact, um, like re, uh, what's the word? Where, where basically the the government decided, if we have Indian artifacts on display somewhere in museums, and the Native people want those artifacts back, we have to give them back. So they passed this law, and um, I re- and and then the, you read the law, and it says, any museum who holds Native artifacts with the exception of the Smithsonian, mm. has to return them to the native people if requested. That's crazy. Isn't that crazy? All right, so my, um, I'm, I'm getting... Uh, it, it, just, it just makes me wonder how much history is destroyed. You know, like stuff that... Uh, you know, I, we're on this trail right now, but how, how, many, how much stuff will we never be able to know because it's been destroyed? It's, yeah, it's like um, the, the Library of Alexandria level... level Catastrophe. It, yeah, I mean, it makes you wonder about the the Library of Alexandria. Was that, you know, how did that happen? You know, I don't know. No, I, I don't know if anyone knows. I don't know. Yeah, but uh, it makes you wonder. Um, I'm getting uh, I'm getting dinged in my pocket that uh, dinner oh, that dinner is ready. ready. But I, I want to just run through this last little bit. All right, he says in South America we have the cloud people of the Chachapoya culture as well as the Paracas skull finds both of which show fair hair of thinner type than the Native Americans and on an obvious Caucasoid skull shape. Genetic testing has also linked them to haplogroups found in Europe today. Mm. He says the Chachapoyas were buried in sarcophagi, sculpted with obvious European features, which bear an intriguing resemblance to those of another location with legends of fair-skinned people in ancient times, Easter Island. So, from start to finish, we have at least reasonable evidence worth exploring that suggests not only are the Indo-European people of uh, one lineage, but that they conquered and traveled the, the entire world as far as North and South America and the Polynesian Islands. It's quite a bit of reach. So I wanted to say, these are the last four thoughts that I wanted to say, that when you look at this, the intention of this video, this channel, this, mes- this message that, uh, that uh, uh, Asha Logos is bringing to us. There is no suggestion of superiority or supremacy apart from the context of when, co- when conquest puts Indo-European groups in the, rule, in the role of a ruling class. And I just said that's equally true of any conquering people, 
It's, 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 there's, no, there's no indication that he's saying Indo-European people are superior. All right, he, he also points uh, to evidence of intergroup cooperation, trade networks, uh, cultural connections across time, and interbreeding with indigenous populations that create new distinct cultures and societies. Um, the difference between one Aryan people and another are, are those cultures that they interacted with when they got there. Um, he also speaks of cultural decline, but not driven by intermixing, right? He talks about it explicitly attributing it to the weakening of cultural systems um, that unify the people. And those, those are the caste system and, and the, the uh, religion that unifies people. Those, mm -hmm. specific, those specific attributes of the Indo-European group, when they break down, then the cultures break down. Uh, and then lastly... Um, he criticizes consumerism a bunch, yeah. which I thought was interesting. Um, he, he talks about it as part of the reason for the downfall of, the, of these societies when they collapsed, um, like an attachment to things, um, material things. Yeah. Um, and I was, I was kind of taken aback by that because it seems to me like markets and uh, not, not consumerism, but markets are something that you might say are an Indo-European um, invention. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. But they're, they're one of those things that were good, even if they were something introduced to the Indo-European people, that they used for themselves. I don't think that, that it's a bad thing in and of itself, but he's really critical of, of consumerism in that way. Well, there's a... I mean, do you not see a difference between consumerism and markets? I do, but I wasn't sure he, he did. Yeah, I wasn't, okay. sure, I wasn't sure he was making that distinction. Um, I, I don't know. I guess I'm just like, because I see the rest of the the quality of the argument i guess i'm just giving him the benefit of the doubt you know and, yeah. and it's like to me it just seems like the difference between consumerism and general markets is like so obvious that like how could he not see a difference between them yeah and oop, i would say that markets are good and consumerism is bad you know yeah yeah so yeah. I, yeah. I don't know i just like I, I i guess i'm just comfortable extending the benefit of the doubt on that one yeah all right, so we're clearly getting rushed off this episode now. So any, any final thoughts? No, I'm happy to talk about the rest of them, though. All right. So I'm thinking that uh, uh, it might be interesting to, uh, to reach out to Asha Logos. Uh, maybe we can, maybe we can ex expose him to this conversation and That'll see what he thinks. Cool. I think it would be cool. So we'll give that a, give that a try, maybe. And then uh, as I go through the rest of the, of the episodes, I think there's like five others, or maybe there's, there's ten. There's a bunch of them. Yeah. And yeah. We, then we can, we can do more of this as we go along. Oh, yeah, man. All right, buddy. Thank you. Season four, episode one. Yup. In the books. Well, there you have it. That's one avenue explored, but infinitely more still to go. I hope you enjoyed thinking along with us. I know, I know. It's not easy work. Thinking. It's hard and full of uncertainties, but I'm grateful for the company as we trek through this together. Here's to hoping that the juice is worth the squeeze. See what I did there? Let's find out together in the next episode. <laughs>